You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. It just continues. My, oh, my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Superb's building. You bet. She's up. Punches right now. Right as we get on camera, of course, I get a twitch in my eye. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, as always, I am your host, Charles Hammaker. Yeah, that is great timing um, as we get to the height of the show. Uh, we're back. Very difficult past few weekends that lead into Monday uh, when we record our show. This episode is being recorded on Sunday night, actually, after the uh, final Mariners game of that current homestand and the final Seattle, well, no, the week two Seahawks game. Um, a lot going on. I don't have a phone right now, so if there's anybody out there who's watching this who's been trying to contact me, not gonna work. Um, because of that, you know, we've had a lot of stuff going on recently, so stuff we're working towards. So, wasn't able to have last week's episode. Um, as the final storm game of the season took place, the Mariners played that day, Mariners, uh, and then the next day, the very next day in the morning, we had uh storm exit interviews and the sort of a Mariners homestand uh, that we're going to get into when we get into the Mariners news. Um, so yeah, a lot going on. So I appreciate you bearing with us. We're back uh, for this week's episode. This will be the 18th of September. Um, this episode will come out right before uh, the Mariners play on the road in Oakland. Uh, they'll have a 6.40 p.m. start. Regardless, we will get into it with Seahawks-related news as they look to bounce back from that frustrating uh, loss against the Rams where the quote came out a few times or words similar to it that Seattle didn't want it as much as the Rams, which is a big problem, a really big problem, especially in week one. You've got all these expectations you put upon yourself in the offseason. You bounce back and you're able to find your edge and get into it uh, against the Lions in Detroit. Now, obviously, if you follow the NFL world, if you follow football, you know that Detroit went into the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs home and beat them. And it was a big deal for them. It was a big deal for this Lions team. They had shown some improvement this offseason after having an overachieving year last year. Some would have argue overachieving, but they played really well last season. Um, and there's, there's a lot of hype around them. And so Detroit was really excited to welcome their Lions back to Ford Field. Uh, and with Seattle being without their offensive tackles and kind of being banged up, being weak after this game, it was like, okay, all the momentum was with Detroit, right? And then the way things went about it, Seahawks actually – we're in control of this game for a decent amount of time. They would come out winning this one 37 to 31. Seattle wins it in overtime on a Tyler Lockett catch from Geno Smith. Uh, Tyler ends up poking the ball out, as you'll see it in the oh no, not in that one. Um, poking the ball out um, to hit the pylon for his second touchdown of the day, giving the Seahawks the win, their first win of the season. Uh, they bounce back. They actually had a 10 point lead at one point in the fourth quarter after Trey Brown um, had a, a pick six to get them back into it. Uh, I believe Ken Walker had two touchdowns in this one. So overall, uh, pretty solid game. Uh, you know, there's definitely some things to work on. Obviously, he had to go to overtime. He had a 10-point lead in the fourth. He would like to have kept that lead. Uh, but they walk out of fourth field with the win. That game, again, could have gone a lot worse. Um, 
you know, you're without both starting tackles and Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, uh, Jason Peters, who, you know, many will know the team signed was unable to go after <laughs> getting signed just earlier in the week. Um, a few things, a few things happened, but uh, it's, it's much better outlook. Obviously this week after the win against Detroit, Again, a very game Detroit Lions team. I really think that Lions team will win a good amount of games this season. Um, and we might have to see them again at some point, whether that's playoffs or what have you. Uh, you know, which is kind of funny to say, considering the Lions, just because they haven't had the best luck of things um, for a while. But again, I, I give them a lot of credit. Uh, offensive player of the game, I went with Tyler Lockett. Eight receptions, 59 yards, two touchdowns, including that game-winning touchdown in overtime. We've talked about it here in Seattle for years, how Tyler Lockett is underrated. Uh, I just don't want to use that word anymore. Tyler Lockett is one of the best receivers in the National Football League, and he's in an incredibly talented wide receiver <laughs> wide receiver core of DK himself, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, and a few other names here. Obviously, Jake Bobo got a lot of attention in preseason. Uh, that's why I went with Tyler Lockett there, just because he's a consummate veteran, uh, doing great stuff off the, off the field as well, but still such a valuable part of this uh, receiving core as he's become one of the uh, patent veterans of this roster. And then on the defensive side of the ball, he didn't have a great game last week against Los Angeles, but Trey Brown had a nice week this week uh, in the win against the, the Lions. As I mentioned, there was a pick six. Uh, Trey Brown had that pick six. Uh, four tackles in this game, all of them solo. One sack, a tackle for loss, two pass deflections to boot with that interception, and one quarterback hit. So kind of an all-around game uh, for the corner Trey Brown. After his name kind of went, you know, this young secondary for Seattle has so many names. Julian Love had a solid game in terms of his statistics. Um but you look at Devon Weatherspoon made his NFL debut. He did give up a touchdown. The Lions had a flea flicker, um, and he had a bit on the move uh, that the receiver made. So, sure, it's a rookie. He's going to make that mistake. Um, so, you know, even veterans get beaten on the flea flicker. So, it was a tough one there. Um, but overall, he made some big plays. Devon Witherspoon made a big pass deflection on fourth down in the second half of this game. So, you know, pretty solid, especially if you look at some of the names that were on the injury report. On the injury report, Jamal Adams still out. He is expected to be good to go this week. Charles Cross is still out with a toe injury. Defensive end Mike Morris was questionable and linebacker. I mean, no, uh, Mike Morris was out. Questionable were linebackers Boye Mafe with a knee injury um, and linebacker Devin Bush with a shoulder injury. We look at the inactive list. Bush inactive, Jamal Adams obviously inactive for that one. Boy, so yeah, yeah. no Bush, no Mafe. Uh, McClendon Curtis, who the team picked up off of waivers earlier in the week as well, in addition to Peters um, as an offensive lineman, he was out. Uh, offensive tackle Charles Cross was not able to go. Offensive guard Ben Brown uh, was out. And then, as I mentioned, Mike Morris out as well. So some notable injuries there. In terms of injuries that related to the game itself, um, Three players left during the game with questionable to return designations. DK Metcalf had a ribs issue that he left with. Uh, Tariq Woolen had a chest issue. Both of them in the first half, they were both able, well, DK was able to return to the game. Center Evan Brown left with a knee injury. So early, early on, these first two weeks of the season, Seattle's dealing with injuries. But, I mean, it was really positive to see this win. Uh, it really, really hats off job to both Stone Forsyth uh, and Jake Curran. Uh, 
Forsyth on the left, Curran playing right tackle. Um, to really, there was one sack, and it was really, really credited to Geno. Um, and outside of that, there wasn't much going on for the Detroit pass rush. The Seattle tackles did a great, great job uh, in this one, filling in for their starter components, for their starter counterparts. Uh, pardon me. Um, Jason Peters was credited with helping these tackles get ready. Um, yeah, they said that they were happy with the progress that Jason Peters made um, in the week leading up to it, but they didn't feel like it was uh, good to give him that starting role and push him into the lineup uh, just a few days after they had acquired him and after he had quote unquote got up, gotten up off the couch. Um, so I was just, it was a really impressive win to go in there into Detroit. As a, again, I really do think that this Lions team is going to be a hard one to beat throughout the course of the year. Um, they've got a couple of great components that make them a good football team. And Seattle, yeah, again, they probably should have won this game in regulation, um, but they were able to get the win regardless, 10 a.m. start, um, and they're going to come back and they're going to have to play a rookie quarterback in Bryce Young this week back at home. So, um Ideally, you know, if you had played a lot better, you played like yourselves in week one, you take that win. The Rams did put up a good fight against the 49ers as well in their their week, uh, their game this uh, Sunday. But one on one, fine, doable. But if you look, this was a talk of a lot of the week leading into this game that teams that go zero and two really struggle uh, later on in the season, making the playoffs, let alone going to the Super Bowl and winning it. Um, so. Good start to, well, again, median start, but good in this one to get this win. Satisfying, happy flight home. You come back, you play a rookie quarterback, try to get after him, play a Panthers team that's, that looks a little different than these Panthers teams that the Seahawks have played um, earlier uh, in years before, where it was just like we were playing the, the Panthers every single year. Um, as I've mentioned and talked heavily about, Jason Peters uh, on the 12th signed with the team as well as offensive tackle Greg Islands, uh, both of those to the practice squad as a corresponding move. The team released quarterback Holton Eilers, uh and safety Brady Breeze uh, to make room for those guys there. So the Seahawks, as I mentioned, sit in a one and one record as of this current moment. They are third in the NFC West at this uh, at this time. Let me get you the NFC West standings because it's it's an interesting stakeout so far. It would have been more interesting if the Cardinals um, had actually held on to their 21-point lead, but they blew that to the Giants. So the 49ers to the top with a 2-0 win, uh, win-loss record, which is sort of expected at least for them. They were talked about as being a powerhouse through the offseason. The Rams are 1-1 one and, one and hold the tiebreaker over the Seahawks. Uh, and the Seahawks sit at third in the FC West as the Cardinals sit at 0-2 at this point in time. Uh, but, yeah, they had, they had a really big lead against the Giants in their game this week. The Seahawks' next game, September 24th, at home at Lumen Field versus the Carolina Panthers, a 1-0-5 Pacific time start. As I mentioned, they'll, they'll face a Carolina Panthers team that looks a little bit different. They're going through some changes. Uh, and they've got young Bryce Young at the, at the helm there. They're playing tonight, actually. Well, uh, as you're seeing, this is tonight. Um, a Panthers team is playing Monday Night Football against the Saints for week two. Uh, the Panthers are 0-1 at the time of this recording. I don't know what it will be after the Monday Night game, obviously. Um, but look very different. The number one overall pick will come to Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks will look to build some momentum and get a win streak going. Um we stop there with the Seahawks and we move over here to the Mariners and then talk about win streak. It's not what happened in Seattle, unless you can a two gamer, which eh, baseball, especially with how many games they play. Anyway, uh, we go over here 
it was a homestand filled with the Los Angeles teams. And I say Los Angeles and air quotes, because obviously, as I've talked about for years, when we do circling Seattle sports on Converge, uh, the Angels don't particularly play in Los Angeles. Um, regardless, uh, the Angels took game one of this series, a, a September 11th win for the Angels, uh, five to eight loss for the Mariners in extra innings. Our player of the game center fielder, Julio Rodriguez, who was in this photo of the game by our photographer, Zage. Sage Zepetto, uh, four runs, so four hits, pardon me, two runs and two RBIs. His two-run homer in the 10th inning of this game tied it up, um, but it wasn't enough as the Angels would kind of pile on there in the 11th and the Mariners were unable to respond. With that home run, Julio became the 44th player in Major League Baseball history to join the 30-30 club uh, and joined three other players who did so under the age of 22, well, at or under the age of 22. Um, so that was nice to see that history, but even after the game, Julio didn't really want to talk about it. Uh, I was really upset that the team wasn't able to get the win there. Uh, so, but he was much happier to talk about it. Uh, well, to talk more so about the team's win after the fact um, that they got their next game September 12th versus the Angels, an eight to nothing win, a shutout victory. You can see Julio's expression there in that photo by Anthony May. Um, two players of the game in this eight to nothing win. Third baseman Eugenio Suarez, Gino, two hits, two runs, two RBIs, and a walk, including a solo homer for the Mariners third baseman. And starting pitcher Brian Wu. Brian Wu, so much can be said about the rookie pitchers for this Mariners organization, um, whether it's him or Bryce Miller coming in and taking the starting rotation roles. You know, with Robbie Ray being down for the season, with Marco Gonzalez being out for the season, uh, two guys who, no matter how you feel about them, are inning eaters. Um, and Wu and Miller have been able to do an excellent job, and especially in the series, we'll get to Miller's start later on, um, as he was our player of the game for the day that he started. But Wu, five and two thirds innings, in, two thirds innings pitched, four hits, no runs, no walks, and eight strikeouts. It was arguably one of the better games he had pitched statistically. Uh, and looking at some of the deeper numbers, whether it's the pitches and the whiffs and all that. So uh, it was it was excellent um, <laughs> to see that. That was really satisfying. So the Mariners, that win set up the rubber match, and they would take that one on September 13th, a 3-2 to win. Very tight one. Our player of the game, uh, center fielder Julio Rodriguez. Julio, one hit, one run, one RBI, and one walk. And our photo of the game here, uh, Julio and starting pitcher Luis Castillo. La Piedra had an excellent game. Uh, kind of had a tough, got some things, but largely had a great game. Uh, just not nearly enough run support. They would get that later to get the win. And Julio, two, two of the Mariners' best pit players uh, in that one photo right there, kind of messing around with each other. So, they got the rubber match. You know, they win the series there. Uh, they would get a day off before they hosted the L.A. Dodgers, one of the best teams in all of baseball. And the Mariners, unfortunately, I know I joked about it the last few weeks with the broom. The broom is here in the room. Uh, I don't mean to rhyme, but kind of sad. Kind of sad. We don't typically do that when the Mariners get swept. Um September 15th versus the Dodgers, a 3-6 to six loss. Our player of the game, third baseman, Eugenio Suarez, one hit, one run, one RBI, solo homer. Not a lot of offense going on early as the Dodgers had young starting pitcher Bobby Miller out there. Bobby Miller is a hell of a pitcher, great fastball, hits 100, uh, big, big pitcher, uh, and has, has a solid arsenal of off-speed pitches as well. He dueled off against George Kirby, and Kirby, he had you know, an all-right game, um, but ultimately – 
the Mariners just didn't do enough on offense until it was I didn't do enough on offense to support that and keep this going. And then the bullpen uh, can only do so much later on. They kind of got uh, the Dodgers pulled away late. Uh, you can see our photo of the game here to Oscar Hernandez in the final at bat of the game kind of walks off uh, wondering what went wrong with this game. Uh, game two, unfortunately, the photo of the game is going to look similar. Um, a two to six loss. Our player of the game, right-handed pitcher Bryce Miller, uh, through his start, through his tenure, five and a third inning pitched, four hits, zero runs, one walk, and four Ks. I mean, again, in 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 September here, you've got Wu and Miller contributing valuable, valuable innings for the Mariners, um, and at least in these games, not getting nearly enough to any run support. Um, the Dodgers would be able to pull away late with that one. Um, in extra innings, and it just it just wouldn't matter enough. Um, wait, was this an extra innings? I don't think so. The Dodgers pulled away is what mattered, um, and ultimately they would lose this series here. And you think, oh well, in that win as well, the Dodgers actually clinched the National League West division for the tenth time uh, in the past eleven seasons. So the next day, they wheeled out their quote unquote hangover lineup. Um, as they arrested some guys like Freeman. Um, oh, this was an extra innings. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. The Dodgers scored five runs in the 11th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, photo of the game here, Julio Rodriguez walking off after the last plate appearance, just, you know, obviously not happy about it. Um, so, anyway, the Mariners, you'd think, with Logan Gilbert on the mound, who hadn't lost in, in quite some time, um, and playing the hangover lineup, quote unquote, you think, okay. They should be able to salvage this game, you know, take a win. And what's frustrating about those first two losses of uh, the series is that both the Rangers and uh, Astros had lost their respective games as well. So you had chances to gain ground and you just kind of spat on them. Uh, they spat on this as well as they lost one to six in the final game of the series at homestand. And their photo of the game is a little more positive as the Mariners celebrated Hispanic Heritage Day and both players from the Mariners and the Dodgers met uh, behind home plate to take this photo pregame with their native flags. Um, this one, this one was just incredible. I mean, in the second inning, the Mariners could get a run. They were creating traffic for those first few innings, and then there was just nothing. Uh, the Dodgers hammered Logan Gilbert from the start of this game. Uh, and it was tough because if you look at the pitch locations of where the, Ast the Astros, pardon me, it was a sin to call the Dodgers Astros, um, called the, you know, where the pitches to these Dodger players were in regards to where their big hits came from, they weren't exactly bad pitches. Uh, the Dodgers got good one on them. And this is, again, this is the Dodgers quote unquote hang up, hangover lineup. So, uh, just a really, really frustrating effort, um, and it was really odd to see um, the last few innings uh, of this. When most of the game after those first two innings was just the energy wasn't there, whether it was on the field um, for the Mariners or in the stands. And this was a sellout. There was a sellout crowd of forty-five thousand plus, and it's just lifeless. I mean, the difference. The problem is everybody blamed the pitching. Uh, this weekend, which I, I don't find correct. Uh, in the third game where Gilbert got hammered early on, sure, fine, whatever. But again, one run, one run isn't going to beat anybody most of the time, right? Uh, in those first two games, uh, Kirby didn't necessarily struggle, um, but that wasn't the main issue. The Mariners, you know, we went into extra innings and it just wasn't, they weren't doing enough. They were generating traffic in, in games one and two, yes. 
but they didn't get uh, Scott service always talks about it being the timely hit, you know, the big hit to kind of, uh, no, that's stupid. I look, I'm going to look up George Kirby's game log and it's telling me, uh, George Kirby is a great fit for the San Francisco Giants. Shut, shut up, shut up. Um, this game has six innings pitch, five hits, four runs, four of them earned Homer, two walks, seven strikeouts. Yeesh. Um, yeah, ultimately didn't look good. Um, but the pitches weren't bad either in this one. Um, so yeah, anyway, offensively, one run in the fourth, two in the sixth, and then that's not able to do yeah, they ended up falling off. Still still not enough. Still not enough. Homer crowd, yeah. Still not enough. It's just not enough. Um getting traffic, not being able to push them over. The big stat that I looked at at the end of this series immediately after the Mariners got swept was the Mariners went four for 33 with runners in scoring position um, this series. That's just unacceptable. That is really, really unacceptable. Um, you know, and they had that issue on Monday against the Angels, but then in the next two games, they were much better. They had a lot of runs uh, with two outs, which was funny. Um, so, it's just the same sort of thing that we were looking at in the first half of the season where they had generated traffic. They just weren't able to push it through uh, a lot of chasing. Um, so it's, it's not great. It's not great. Even in the game, game two, uh, when it was Miller versus Kershaw, Kershaw didn't start the game out very well. You know, in the first two innings, the control really wasn't there. And even then with the control not being there, the Mariners were chasing at pitches. I understand it. He's got the big, uh, the curve ball and the slider, but you know, the control aspect of it, ah, yeah, it's frustrating. And this is obviously a time that you got to be locked in. You got to be focused. They saged the clubhouse um, on Tuesday. That was all great and dandy and woohoo. Um, but I, I might need to sage the whole stadium after something like that. You get swept um, in that fashion. So, Andy Huzit, our Player of the game, player of the week, pardon me. Uh, Sort of JP Crawford. JP, six hits, one run, four extra base hits, four RBIs, two walks, a 273 batting average, a 333 on base percentage, a 455 slugging percentage, and a 788 OPS. Uh, we have a few other things relating to the Mariners from the past week. On the 11th, we got a Tom Murphy update from general manager Justin Hollander. He has a small fracture in his thumb. And at that point, he had been shut down from baseball activity for the past 10 days. This was on the 11th. He said this. The thumb is currently in a splint, and the Mariners will have to make a decision on the 22nd of this month, which is in four days by the time this comes out, um, whether or not they're going to be able to bring him back uh, and get him back into the uh, back onto the roster um, or if they're going to shut him down. In other team-related news, the same day on the 11th, uh, Jared Kelnick had been re reinstated from the 10-day injured list as a corresponding move. What just happened with the lights? Oh, that bulb went out. That's great. Um, as a corresponding move, outfielder Cade Marlowe was optioned down to Triple H Tacoma. On the 12th, right-handed pitcher Luke Weaver was claimed off of waivers from the New York Yankees. Um, and the teams, well, by the New York Yankees, not from, pardon me. Uh, also, as a corresponding move, and Hollander mentioned this on the 11th, but the actual roster move took place on the 12th. Uh, catcher Luis Torrens was selected from Triple A Tacoma, and the team placed catcher Brian O'Keefe on the paternity list. So uh, since then, O'Keefe has been uh, reinstated from the paternity list and sent down to Triple A Tacoma. At this time, the Mariners sit at an 81 and 68 record. They are third in the American League 
American League West. They're 2.5 games back from the top of the division, one game out of a wild card spot at this time. Uh, I talked about it. The Astros and Rangers have been losing games, but the Blue Jays have not. So the Mariners find themselves out of a playoff spot, and they really need to kick things into high gear. It starts with a three-game set on the road in Oakland um, at the Coliseum with uh, the first two games, 18th and 19th of this month, being 6.40 p.m. Pacific time first pitches. And then game three of the series, the getaway game, uh, is a 12.37 p.m. first pitch on September 20th. As a, you know, At this current point in time, being where they're at, uh, having been swept, you probably need to sweep the athletics, and that's been shown to be no easy feat, uh, whether it be by the Mariners or some of the series that the athletics have played um, throughout the course of their season. After that three-game set against the Athletics, the Mariners will travel down to Texas to play another American League West rival in the Texas Rangers, a team they really have struggled against this year. Uh, And in six games played head-to-head, they've only won one of them. So first pitch on the 22nd of this game is a 5.05 p.m. first pitch. And then September 23rd uh, at the Rangers, a 4.05, leading us to a September 24th game against the Rangers in 11.35 a.m. first pitch. This begins a really big stretch for the Mariners against both the Rangers and the Astros, where they'll need to be at their very best, uh, whether that be focused, locked in, whatever the hell you may have it be. Uh, We're in the final 13 games of the season at this current point in time. But by then, it's the final 10 games, and seven of those last 10 games of the year are against the Texas Rangers. This very well, of any playoff hope, any division title hope could come down to whether or not the Mariners are able to do well against the Rangers, let alone Houston. So uh, it's it's a really, really big week. Um, And it... (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's it's going to get wild. It's going to get really wild. We're going to do our very best to stay on top of all of it. Um, I just, yeah, it's really big. Every game in September has been really big, and the Mariners have really fallen flat on their face so far uh, in the month of September. So we go over here to our Storm, who wrapped up their regular season. Um, there's some team notes, as all the players now have, you know, we go into the offseason. Uh, Jewel Lloyd has signed a two-year extension, which is some of the biggest news in Seattle basketball, um, some awards as, as her year has ended. Uh, not all of the official WNBA awards have been announced. I believe today, former Storm player uh, Alicia Clark was named the sixth person of the year. Um, she's with the Aces, and the playoffs already started. I think we're all, I think game three, a lot of game threes in round one are taking place tonight, actually, um, when this is aired. So anyway, on September 11th, uh, Jewel Lloyd officially was named the 2023 scoring leader with 24.7 points per game. And obviously with her last game uh, became the WNBA single season scoring leader with 939 points. Um, so again, we talked about throughout the year, Jewel historic tear, historic run. And it was great because the day before the final game of the season, it was announced that she would be re-signing for a two-year deal, uh, which helps a lot because then I don't have to talk about it every week, whether or not Jewel is going to come back. Uh, something that was from exit interviews, Gabby Williams, 
for Gabby Williams because she's unlikely to play in the WNBA this year due to her prior obligations with the French national team, uh, her French league as well. Uh, also because of the WNBA's prioritization rule. Uh, so something to note there, we probably won't see Gabby back this year in any capacity, uh, which kind of sucks. So, excuse me, on September 12th, it was announced that uh, both Jewel Lloyd and Jordan Horston were named to respective all, uh, all well, AP teams. Lloyd named to the AP all WNBA first team, while Horson was named to the AP all rookie team. Both of these players, I mean, from from the first few days that we got to be around Jordan Horston, I thought, hey, it will be a lot of fun to see her play with Jewel Lloyd for an extended period of time. And I think that's only going to be more and more true as Horson has this offseason to take what she learned from the WNBA this year and apply it, maybe add some more muscle weight there. Um, great lanky athletic defender and really found her confidence as the season went on. We all know what Jill Lloyd can do, but to see those two kind of ping off each other, you know, uh, I mean, I think they can be a really incredible duo in this league and it'll be exciting to see them both continue to play in a storm Jersey. And I'm very thankful that because of Lloyd's extension, we get to see that play out. Um, and it's not like, okay, you know, who's going to fill into this role, what Seattle does in the offseason. No, I don't have to worry about none of that uh, because Jewel has been re-signed, and that is just excellent, excellent. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we go over here. We continue to roll along. Uh, we've got Sounders-related news, and kind of like uh, last time we talked about Sounders, it's not bad. It's not bad. The split points with FC Dallas on the road. September 16th at FC Dallas, a one-to-one draw. Our player of the match, right wing back Reed Baker Whiting. Uh, because of this performance, he was named to the MLS's uh, team of the match day, which is essentially a team of the week. Uh, Reed had an 8.2 match rating. Uh, actually, he played left. I apologize. He played left wing back, not right wing back. Normally, he's right wing back. He played left wing back this week. Um 8.2 match rating, one assist, one shot, a 91% pass percentage, uh, and two chances created. Uh, this game was interesting. This game was interesting. The Sounders conceded a goal within the first 15 minutes. It just didn't look very good. They weren't able to generate much. Um, but in the second half, they looked like a much better team. And FC Dallas, it, it was like essentially a, a, a flip of what had happened in the first half. Um, and so the Sounders split points with FC Dallas. The injury report is as follows. Leo True is out with suspension. Kellen Rowe was out still with the right quad strain. He's dealt with that injury for a large amount of the season at this point. Uh, Cody Baker and Chris Rodon were both in concussion protocol, but uh, Rodon was in this game and did play in this game and actually did get hit in the head, which was really frustrating, hit in the face, um, which is really frustrating just because he's dealt with that concussion injury uh, for a while there. It was like, hey, are we even going to see him back this season? Um, and thankfully he got out of it and seemed to be fine. So that part's good. That was a really sort of, uh, I was watching this during the Mariners game. It was like, Hey, let's not hit Christian rolled on. That'd be great. Um, but I want to, I want to look at this. I want to look at this, right? Cause normally as we're moving into the next section, I talk about standings, but it's going to be crucial here. Um, it'd be really hard for the Sounders to completely fall out of the playoff picture. Um, but with these passing week, they can help themselves get a better seed. So we look at the standings right now in the West, St. Louis, 49 points. I feel like it's going to be hard to catch them. Um, they've been on a toward pace. Uh, their goal differential is pretty solid. Um, 
Second place, LAFC. The Sounders sit one point behind LAFC. Uh, LAFC has 43 points. The Sounders have 42 points. Um, but LA currently still has the game in hand. Sitting behind both of those teams in fourth place is Vancouver. Vancouver has 41 points, but has two games in hand, which is scary. Um, yeah, don't like that. Dallas is sitting just outside of the playoff picture. They are currently at 35 points, um, uh, but they are one spot behind Kansas City, who is on the outside looking in. Um, so, yes, very interesting. Um, yeah. Mm, goodness. So, anyway, sorry, got to focus myself. I started to look at the table a lot. Um, Colorado is next for the Sounders. Colorado is not. Colorado sits at the very bottom of the Western Conference. You got to take care of business, obviously. It doesn't matter where people stand if you're not going to handle business. After Colorado, uh, the Sounders, this is all on the road, by the way. Uh, both of these next two games are on the road. They'll head over to Nashville and they'll play a Nashville team that's holding on to a playoff spot. They're seventh in the Eastern Conference at this current point in time. Uh, they still, they're still a dangerous roster. After those two games on the road, we go into October here when the next two games are at home, which is nice. They'll play the LA Galaxy, who are the second worst teams uh, points-wise uh, in the Western Conference, and then they'll play Vancouver, which will be a huge battle, at least looking at where these teams stand right now. And Vancouver has already clinched Cascadia Cup uh, at this point in the season, which is wild. And then uh, I, I want to say likely by that time, the last game of the regular season, October 21st, Seattle goes to St. Louis. I'd like to think that seating will have been figured out by that point in time, but things are crazy. Who knows? Um, but that's where they sit. They'll they'll play two. Wait. Wait. One. Oh, yeah. They play two teams who are currently in playoff standing um, in the next four, three, uh, three if you include the next five that was St. Louis and two that are out of it. So it's very much going to be able to hand, handle business. It's great that you've got Christian Roldan back. That's a big help. Um, it's just about keeping him healthy, obviously. But yeah, I, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that the Sounders finish in the top four. Uh, they'll obviously do much higher, though, if they play a lot better than what we've seen and can actually finish uh, their chances. So you know, we'll see if they're able to do that. Anyway, as I mentioned, their next match, uh, as they sit an 11 win, nine loss, nine draw record with 42 points, ninth in the entire league, third in the Western Conference, as I've just stated. Uh, September 20th at the Colorado Rapids, that is a 6.30 p.m. Pacific time uh, kickoff. So before we get to the rain, I was going to transition there straight over because they're similar in a lot of regards in terms of finishing chances, not being able to finish chances, uh, not knowing where they're going to finish in playoff seating. Uh, we have our Kraken, who... It started today with the rookie camp. Rookie camp was to, well, as I mentioned, by the time you see this, it's today. Um, that will have happened. But we've got some updates on rookie camp and training camp finally. We've got updates on that. So um, rookie camp is September 18th and 19th. All of these dates that I'm going to mention to you are free and open to the public up at Kraken Community Iceplex in Northgate uh, starting both of them are 11 o'clock gates. Training camp is September 21st through 22nd. 24th and 25th, 27th and 29th, then October 1st through 5th, 7th and 9th. Obviously, uh, you see some gaps in there. A lot of those gaps are because the team will have preseason in there as well. And those are the games that I'm not including. 
in training camp dates. They will have special theme days and giveaways announced for training camp, including training camp kickoff, as I mentioned, on the 21st. Uh, the 22nd is Forwards Day. The 24th is Military Recognition Day. The 27th is Defenseman Day. 29th is National Coffee Day. Uh, and I thought this was a, a little odd of a standout, but uh, training camp is brought to you by Starbucks, so that's why it makes sense. Uh, the 1st of October is Kids Day, and then the 3rd, maybe the best day, is Goalie Day. So that will be a lot of fun there. Um, we've got all of those dates announced uh, for training camp. As I mentioned, every single date, whether it be rookie camp to training camp, is all free and open to the public up at the Kraken Community Iceplex up at Northgate. So uh, also some piece of news that we got. General Manager Ron Francis confirmed that he's been told he can send forward in the 2022 number four overall pick Shane Wright to the HL if he doesn't make the NHL squad this year. Francis and the Kraken had sought exemption to these current rules that would have forced him to go back to the OHL this year. Uh, but the team general manager did say that he fully hopes he makes the team and Wright today after rookie camp did say himself that he hopes and is fully planning on making the team as well. So that's it for Kraken related news. What's upcoming for them is rookie camp tomorrow. By the time this is recorded, I mean, by the time this is seen and then training camp uh, for the week after that. So we get into it with the rain here. And this one was frustrating. The final time that these teams will meet in the regular season and the rain fall to the Portland Thorns on the road uh, by a two-goal margin, our player of the match, midfielder Olivia Vandriot, uh, Olo had the best match rating on the range, 7.0 with one shot, 78% passing, three interceptions, and 14 recoveries. The range just made some silly mistakes uh, defensively, some poor mistakes. This comes after the news that Fallon Tillis-Joyce has been uh, transferred to Manchester United. I say it now without having the screen up just because of the fact that, I mean, this is something that's been big. Uh, with the rain, especially we've got some other stuff that uh, relates to the rain as well, team news-wise. But this is the first game they've played without her. Claudia Dickey was in net. Um, and kind of it was a bumpy road for not only her but the defense as well. Uh, and this is a tough one. I mean, it's a tough test against uh, arguably the best team in the entire NWSL. And the rain fall here. They fall. They 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 had nine shots. I think they're credited with nine shots, but it really wasn't. It didn't feel like that. Uh, they only had one chance created. Three chances went to Portland. Um, it was, it was, yeah, it was a tough one. It was a really tough one. Um, 14 shots for Portland, three big chances. They missed two of them. Uh, the rain, one big chance, and they missed it. Nine total shots. Uh, the rain had six corners, though. I do remember that, and it wasn't all that great. Like they did much in the corners there. Um, trying to see if there's anything else. Yeah, well, and then uh, I always try to go through the, the like, uh, some of the statistics here on FootMob, and they've got a new thing. I think it's new, where it's top stats, uh, and like, I think, let's see, two, four, six, eight, ten. Yeah, almost all of the Portland players, uh, starting eleven, uh, made it into the top stats and ratings before we get to a rain player. Um, <laughs> With was which was Olo and then Olivia Moultrie, um, who was subbed in, beats the rest of the rain players, which yeah yeah. So it was it was a really tough one. It was a really tough one, but the finishing chances remain an issue for this club here. Um, you're still wondering when is this going to change? This happened 
after the uh, racing Louisville game, it was like, hey, you know, you're able to generate chances, but you can't finish them. This has been the talk of the game the last two years, and I keep having to talk about it. So I'm going to try and not go further into it because we've already talked about this sort of thing. Um, the rain as the final stretch comes here, they've got three matches remaining left in the regular season to kind of figure out where they're going to be standings wise. Uh, and they're not going to be easy games necessarily. The first two games um, of these last three, both of them will be at home or against teams that currently sit in a playoff spot. Um, the spirit sit a point behind the rain in sixth place and the courage sit a point, a point above the rain at uh, fourth place. Their final game of the year is against the Chicago red stars, which is, um, uh, on the road as well. Um, and the Red Stars have the least amount of points in the league, but it isn't going to be easy. Um, you know, Portland, they sit atop the league at 32 points. They'll likely win the shield um, uh, for the regular season champion. Uh, but yeah, you play the Courage on October 1st at home. They sit above you in points right now by one point. Their form isn't super great, but they're still hanging around. The Washington Spirit, who you'll play in the last regular season home game as well. Uh, yeah, their form's not as great either. So you're still kind of hanging around, but there are other teams who are just outside of the playoff picture who are gaining ground, who have much better form. Um, you're going to want to pick it up. You're going to want to pick it up fast. Things are got to change quick. Um, but there's some positive news some happy news that we'll get to here. Um, on the 12th, we found out that five rain players were named to the U.S. Women's National Team roster for the September FIFA window. Alana Cook, Megan Rapino, she'll be playing in her farewell game for the, the U.S. Women's National Team there. Um, Sofia Huerta, Rose Lavelle, and Emily Sonnet. Also on this day, the club picked up the 2024 option for midfielder Jess Fishlock. Later on in the week, they'd pick up the 2024 option for forward Jordan Heidema. So you're locking some of these pieces in here for next year. That's great. I'd love to see a Rose Lavelle extension. Would love that. Um, but that hasn't come as yet. There's a lot of a lot of change going on in the club, and that's very interesting. Um, as, as I mentioned, uh, Fallon Tillis-Joyce is now with Manchester United. Uh, so the rain goalkeeper depth chart is there with Claudia Dickey and Laurel Ivory. Um, so that'll be that'll be something to worry about when expansion comes along there uh when the expansion draft comes along it's, it's a lot it's a lot for the rain and i'm sure it's a lot for the players so try to give them some slack i know they're probably dealing with a lot of this change uh they're still trying to finish out the regular season they're in a playoff chase so it isn't going to be easy as i mentioned they've got their next two games are against teams that are fighting for playoff seating as well uh, as the rain tried to improve from that fifth place spot, they sit at an eight win, eight loss record, three draws on the year, uh, fifth in the league table, and they don't play until October 1st. So some time there, they've got the September FIFA window for those players, but definitely some time to kind of sit back and say, hey, we, we've got to figure out this finishing stuff. I, I don't know how to address that. Um, it'll be certainly interesting to see that. It's not like it's necessarily a lineup thing because the lineup changes pretty regularly. Um, but it's it's going to be tough to that to, to kind of end up higher. They're going to really need to focus. They're going to need a few teams to move out of the way um, and get some outside help. I talk about with other teams and their playoff chases and needing other teams to lose, so on and so forth. Uh, but they will need that. So, any who's it? Uh, we'll wrap it up here with our Seattle Star of the Week, and just because of his excellent performance. Um, and because of 
how, you know, again, talked about the word underrated, not wanting to use that because of how consistently good he has been for the Seahawks. I went with Tyler Lockett as my sales star of the week. Again, continues to be rock solid, has been a big force uh, for the Seahawks, whether it be on the field, uh, in the locker room, just being a, a really consistent player. He has actually my player of the week to watch, uh, player of the game to watch, key player of the game. Um when we do our game day posts here, but just considering how big he came up, he got his, his first touchdown was big, uh, nice over the shoulder one back of the end zone from Geno Smith uh, in the second half of this game. And then this one here, as you, there's the photo I mentioned in the beginning, I was like, it'll be pictured. And I forgot that it was at the end of the end of the show here. Um, poking the goal line, poking the pylon to get the touchdown in overtime as the Seahawks marched down with their possession to win it. Uh, he has been huge, and he should be remembered as one of the best Seahawks receivers of all time. So uh, with that, that'll wrap up our show for the September 18th edition. As I mentioned, this is being recorded the day before. So doing this time thing. We will have all sorts of coverage from Kraken rookie and training camp, as well as the fact that the Mariners will be closing out their regular season. It'll be a hell of a final homestand. Um, so you're going to want to follow us on all the social medias below us that you see here. We're also on TikTok now and trying to be more uh, proactive about posting on TikTok. So make sure you follow us on the things here. And until we see you next week, take care of yourselves, be well, and do whatever you can, whatever you need to to have a great day. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.